everyone, I'm Ben. I am the location pastor at the River Church Davison. Uh, thanks so much for checking out one of our messages today. Uh, we'd love to connect with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text River Connect one word to 97000. Or you can visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and our upcoming events. If you'd like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can visit our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the message today. So with a somber heart, I have to ask this local body of Christ for forgiveness because I have sinned. A couple days ago, I was talking to my kids and I asked them, hey, when was there a time that dad said that he would do something for you or with you and dad wasn't able to come through with his word? And then instantly, as if my sons knew that this question was coming, they had a list ready to go of all the times that dad has given a false promise you said we were going to play Pokemon cards the other day. Oh, yeah, you're right, but Dad was tired. You said we were going to Beyblade. Yeah, you're right, but Dad just didn't really feel like putting together. If you don't know what Beyblades are, they're tops. Dad didn't feel like putting the tops back together every five minutes. You said we were going to play Smash Brothers or Ninja Turtles on the Switch. I'm like, Dad's brain was smoked. And dad didn't want to play video games, which is weird. I hit that moment in my 30s where I thought, like, as a 30-year-old, I'd be all into video games. And now I'm like, I'm too tired to play video games. Like, when did that happen? For all you 20-year-olds, it'll happen at some point. But for all those times, I was like, what are all those other things? And, like, I mean, Broly's like, you said we'd go to Disney World. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, I said I wanted to go to Disney World. I did not say we were going. But the list came. You said we were going to do a movie night. You said we'd go to the zoo. But instantly, like, talking to my sons, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, Jesus says this, let what you say be simple, yes or no. Anything more than this becomes evil. So I've done evil. Now, as much as everybody can kind of joke and jest and everybody can kind of be in that spot where there, there's that commonality that we know that that's there, like, there's truth. I've told my sons, I've told my daughter, I, I, I've told my wife, I would do something. I don't know where you, some of you guys are at. Like, yeah, I'll take care of the dishes in the sink. I'll do the laundry. I'll go do yard work. All those things happen. But Jesus' words are very, very simple. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Can you relate? Have you ever said that you would do something or you would not do something to your spouse? Have you ever said this to your kids? Have you ever said this to your boss? Yeah, for sure, I'll get, I'll get that report to you right now. Now, with a boss, it's a little bit harder because there is a very, very quick financial penalty if you do not get your work done for your boss. So it's like, yeah, I'll get that to you. You have a lot of motivation to get that done because you like that paycheck at the end of the week. But the hard one becomes, again, where's their paycheck when it comes to doing the laundry, taking care of dishes, Making sure, again, date nights or anything else like that. Like, these become those really, really things where we do have to look at our lives. Man, sometimes we turn around and we say, yes, I'll do all the things, and we don't get to it. Sometimes we say, no, I'll never go do that, and then you do that. I don't know where you parents are at. I was that parent who was like, my kids will never have screen time. No iPads, no Kindle fires. My kids will read books. They will be smart. 
no video games. And then it's just, please take this for five minutes. Just leave me alone. Here's all the fruit snacks in the world. Just, I need 10 minutes of like, just not having to hear dad, 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 dad. But again, my yes, my no, man, that changes so circumstantially. And I, and I do think that, again, when we say yes to things, I, I think that we are well-meaning. When we say no to things, I, same thing. I think we are well-meaning. But again, circumstances can change. You can say, yes, I'm going to take care of the sink. I'm going to take care of the dishes. I'm going to take care of the laundry. But then, man, the Lions game is really riveting. <laughs> These are all things where like, all of you are like, I've been there. Yes, I know I need to clean my house. Or again, for some of you young people, I know I need to do my homework. But man, Instagram scrolling really eats up some time. I think that there's a well-meaning aspect. I know I need to do my homework. I know I need to do chores. I, I know I need to be helpful around the house. But sometimes things happen. But let's get a little bit real now. Have you ever turned around and told God that you would do something or not do something? Ooh, now it gets a little bit tighter, a little bit more spicy. God, I'm going to read my Bible every single day. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make the time this year. I'm going to serve in the nursery. I'm going to help Awana. I'm going, to, I'm going to use my gifts and my talents and my abilities, and I'm going, to, I'm going to get over my fear of being in front of people, and I'm going to help in the band. We say yes. And then it gets to that again, in that moment, in that passion. You're well-meaning, but then it seldom comes to fruition. When it comes to tithing, you get people, yeah, I, I, I know I got to give my first fruits to God. Yes, I know I need to make sure that I set aside that 10%. Yes, I need to, but then when you start seeing bills and you start seeing inflation, you see, start seeing other things. Again, these are all real things. It's a well-meaning heart, but it falls away. You could hear a great message about evangelism, making sure that we're telling our friends about who Jesus Christ is because we know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets through the Father except through him, and it is us as the church. God has commissioned us to be his plan A, and we need to make sure we go there for and we need to make sure we're telling everybody about the love of Christ, and we're like, yeah, I'm revved up. But then the moment you have the opportunity, what your once yes was, becomes a quick no. So for us, when we got to look at this, I'm like, man, this is a heavy one. A couple of weeks ago, I kind of said, I, 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 when I looked at scripture, I, I kind of see three main uh, intersecting aspects of family. So we started three weeks ago and we talked about adultery. We moved on to divorce. And so again, the, the first week uh, when we kind of started talking about this, I, I talked about this wandering heart. And I really think when lust, again, the passions of what you want, your heart starts wandering to what you want. And again, that can be in a sexual sense. That can be in just a, I want this and I want it my way. But again, you see adultery in this, I come first. The wandering heart goes towards, this is what I want. But then how does it get manifested out? We start seeing divorce. We start seeing separation. We start seeing broken relationships. But this week, I, I, I truly reading through these three sections in the Sermon of the Mount, the remedy for the wandering heart is found in this section. The remedy for the wandering heart that can help stop people from being controlled by adultery, to get to a place where what keeps marriages and relationships pure and strong come to this point in this remedy. So this remedy this week is going to be found, and again, in the social life, this remedy is found in families. 
And I've been saying this for the last kind of three weeks. Strong churches don't make strong families. Strong families make strong churches. So ultimately, this remedy that we're talking about, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, it's more than just your word. It's found in truth. But this remedy actually can help you with your walk with God as well. So let's kind of jump in. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, Jesus is teaching again. He continues. He says it again. You have heard it said to those of old. So Jesus is going back into the same pattern that we see. You've been taught this. Now let me make sure that you understand what this means. So again, you have been heard that it is said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So same pattern as always, but Jesus is like, hey, this is what you've said. This is what you've been told. This is what the Old Testament lays out there. And the Old Testament is very, very clear about what we should be doing when it comes to oaths, when it comes to swearing by your word, when it says, uh, again, talking truth. So Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, it says, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. This is Deuteronomy. God is saying this. Hey, you shall swear by me. When you say something, you swear it. In Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 16, God's talking. He says, and it shall come to pass that if they will be diligent and learn the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, even as they taught to my people to swear by all. That's a false God. They shall be built up in the midst of my people. God goes back. He's like, you're swearing by the wrong thing. You're putting your faith in a false God. You're putting your faith in a false religion. Again, you swear by my name. So we see in the Old Testament, there are times when God's like, man, when you swear, when you give an oath, you do it by my name. But also in the Old Testament, it talks about, again, when you can't hold your word. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, it says, you shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. It's like when you turn around and say, I swear to God, and then you don't actually live up to that. It's not just, oh, man, your word's broken. Oh, man, your character's broken. You swore by the name of the Lord of the Most High, and you broke that. So in the Old Testament, it's extremely well laid out. Again, if you're going to swear by a name, if you're going to swear by something, you swear by the Lord's name. And if you're not going to, again, if you're going to break that, just understand the consequences that come behind not being true, not being honorable, not letting your yes mean yes and your no mean no. But this is where Jesus then throws a curveball. Because, again, the same pattern that we've always seen. This is what you are told, and you guys have added stuff. You've put man law behind it. You guys have interpreted it. You put policies and procedures and statutes of limitation on it. But now I need to teach you what it really needs to be. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, Jesus says, but I say to you. Now, this is the most important thing. Anytime Jesus says, but I say to you, that's what we really got to hone into. This is Jesus teaching. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Wait a second. Deuteronomy was saying, again, if you take it, make sure it's done by the Lord. And if you can't hold to that, again, just understand that you're you're falsifying God's name. But Jesus is like, dude, just, just don't do it. Don't ever take an oath. But Deuteronomy and Leviticus said, and in Jeremiah it says you can. And Jesus is like, just don't do it, guys. It's just not worth it. Don't do it. But he says, either by heaven, for, the th- for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, 
for you cannot make one hair white or black. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Don't take oaths. Don't swear again. I swear to heaven. I swear to God. Don't do that. I swear on earth. I swear on my grandma's grave. You know that mentality? We've all done that. Don't swear on your head. Don't swear by the city. Now, we've got to understand Zion, the city of uh, Jerusalem, was very, very important. So, again, people are like, do I swear by the, the precious city of Zion I will make this happen? Jesus is like, don't take any of those. But the reason why he's saying don't take an oath, it's found in this last line. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair or white or black. He's saying, moreover, you don't have control over anything. So why are you swearing yes or no? You can't control anything. So let's go back to, again, me saying Pokemon cards or Beyblades or video games. As silly and trite as those might be, in the morning, it is a well-meaning oath. Dude, I sw- dude, for sure we'll play some Pokemon cards when we go home. For sure we'll play Beyblades. For sure I'll go outside and we can ride our bikes. For sure. But then you have one of those days. And again, it can be a stressful day at work. You can, you can end up getting a stomach bug. You can feel bad. Again, you, you have no idea. But again, I've done this with my kids. They're like, for sure, dude, I'm in. But then the day happens. And how much control do I have over the day? Very, very minimal. Now I can control my attitude. I can control my outlook. I can control my energy, input, output. But again, you have no idea. But Jesus, don't take any oath. In Matthew chapter 33, again, you have heard it said, To those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. When Jesus is saying, again, don't swear. If you know that you cannot perform, and it's not perform to the promise, it's not perform to your yes or no, it's not perform to, hey, dude, we're down to play some Pokemon cards. You're performing to the Lord. So me not playing games with my kid has very little to do with my relationship between me and Broly and Zeke. It actually has more to do with my relationship with God. So we have to take a second to look at this. So Jesus is throwing a curveball here. So again, when we look at that, dude, I swear to God, or I swear on the stack of holy Bibles, or I swear on my grandma's grave and all these things, like Jesus, again, don't do that. Why? Because you're showing a falsity in your character. You're actually showing that you think you're in control of everything. And it becomes one of those things we got to take a second to look at it because we jump down to Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. Jesus says, let what you say simply be yes or no. For anything else comes from evil. Dad, will you play with me today? Yes. No. That's it. Will you get that report into me by the end of the week? Yes. No. Nothing else. Because if you ever met one of those people who you're like, hey, I really need this at that time, and then it doesn't get on time, and then there's just a long list of excuses why they can't, do you like dealing with that person? You ever like talking to your kids, why haven't you cleaned your room? Let me tell you why. Talk to a teenager. Why are you acting like that? Let me tell you why. Talk to your spouse. Do the laundry? Let me tell you why. Because again, being like the lions are playing really, really good, that, that doesn't help the problem. I got really, really into modern warfare. That doesn't help the problem. Because when you say yes, the person is expecting that you provide. Again, you're going to be there. If you say no, we'll be there. We'll take care of it. 
So Jesus, again, don't swear by this stuff. Because, again, you have no power. You have no control. You don't know what it needs to be. But if you're going to say it, just let it be yes and let it be no. So Jesus is telling us, again, let your character be so just. Let your character be so holy. Let your character be so steadfast. Let your character be so saturated with truth that you don't need to swear by anything. By you simply saying yes or you simply saying no, truthfulness is just overflowing out of you. Man, I really wish the world worked like that. Think about contracts. Contracts are made because two parties mutually distrust each other. You can't just walk into a car lot and be like, give me that car, I swear I will pay the rest of the money on that. Here's your keys. No, you don't see that. Because there's mutual distrust. So again, from the car salesman standpoint, no, we need you to sign all these documents because we need you to make sure that you're paying this money. In the same right from people walking into a car salesman shop, I got to make sure this car has a warranty. I got to make sure as soon as I drive it off the lot, the thing doesn't just blow up. You have contracts like that. Think about phones. Think about how, uh, how many papers do you have to sign before you buy a house? The bank does not trust you. And they are making sure you sign every single thing to show that they don't trust you. And they will make sure they get every penny out of that. The world does not exist in this world where our, our character is so saturated with truth. We don't live that way. McDonald's gives you a receipt before you leave. Because in the event that they stiff you a large fry, you have a contract that you can take to the window. But like, dude, you, you didn't give me my fry. That's how untruthful our society is. Some of you are like, I've never thought about that. But it's the transaction. It's the agreement. I'm giving you my money for my chicken nuggets, my large Coke, and my large fry. And you better give me that. And in the event that you don't, I have a piece of paper to show you that our contract is not truthful. You did not deliver on your end. Your yes was not yes. Your no was not no. So for us to take a second and look at this, let your yes mean yes, only give that. The goal for us, what Jesus is shooting for, is for the Christian, for the believer, to have a character that is so trustworthy, so saturated in truth, so saturated that they can just say yes and it is a done deal, that a person never has to think about it. Praise God when God says in Matthew chapter 5, verse, 20, verse 17, is, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Because I think every single person here can be in a spot where they're like, I've given a promise. I said I would do something. And I am not living up to that. That can be within marriage. I will love you and honor you and cherish you till death do us part. You wake up in the morning and you're like, ugh. You look at your kids, like the first day you get a little baby, like, you can do no wrong. I'm always going to be there for you. I'm going to sing you lullabies before every single night. And then again, they get to the, just take the iPad. What happened? You can get into spots with relationships. You just thought so we're serving in the church. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Yes, yes, yes. And eh, no, I'm not. Why? Because circumstances change. But Jesus' word doesn't change. Jesus' standard doesn't change. He's telling his followers, he's telling his believers, again, when you say yes, you mean that. 
And when you say no, you mean that you don't need to give anything else. You don't need to sweet talk it. You don't need to add anything else. So there is only one way, though, for us to get this kind of character. And it's not in a calendar. It's not in an app. It's not in a method. It's it's in not just the sheer force of, like, I'm going to make sure that everything I say comes to fruition. Because you can't. Sometimes you'll be late. And it's because Starbucks. Sometimes you'll be late because your car broke down. It happens. But Jesus is still saying what the moral standard for us when we have relationships and we're given truth is when we say it, there has to be that absolute, undefiled, pure truth that is coming out of our mouth. And the only way for us to get there in John chapter 3, verse 30, John the Baptist says this. He says that he must increase, but I must decrease. The only way to have that level of truth, the only way to have that level of your word actually matters is when you are totally, truly living for Jesus Christ. When Christ, the Holy Spirit, is living in you and there's an overflow of who you are and what you're doing and what you say, you cannot be truth without having truth rule your heart. And again, John, Jesus even says this, I am the way, the truth. In the life. So there's no way for us to be absolutely truthful. There's only only way for us to absolutely, when we say our words, actually have truth if there's no Jesus. When you say you will do something or you say you will be something, it's not about saying, is there truth in your oath? Because again, I think there is truth in your oath. I, I, I will pick you up or I will do this chore. I will hang out with you. I will go play. There, there's that, but that's not the question. The question, a better question answer, answer a better question has to be, is there truth in you? Because I think your oath sounds good, and I think you genuinely are well-meaning that you want to make sure you do that. But if truth, moreover, Jesus, is not in you, there is no truth. God is truth, the only true. He is the truest of the true. And when you say yes or no, is God at the center of that? Because if your character is not molding and conforming to look more like God, our words are just our words. And again, some of us do better than normal, but we do have to look at this. If we truly want to be true, and we truly want our yes to be yes and our no to be no, if you don't have truth here, you're going to miss And that's why Jesus says, don't do that. Why? Because that's sin. Notice he's not getting into the, well, that's a little sin. You did your best. Yeah, your car broke down and you didn't know that. No, he's getting at it. Like, you can't lie to people. You can't say something and then take it back. When you say yes to God, think about this. Is there truth in you? Because we got to stop and look at that and be like, okay, I'm saying yes to all these other things. I'm saying yes to these relationships. I'm saying yes, I would do these things. God already knows. It's like, yeah, God, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to pray with my wife. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to serve. Yeah, the oath, there's truth. But inside of you, there is no truth. And we got to take a second and we got to look at this. Because if we're saying yes to our spouse, if we're saying yes to our kids, if we're saying yes to our work, what Jesus even says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, but you shall perform. Talk is cheap. But can you back it up? 
was actually kind of think, thinking about this over the last couple weeks. Why is truth such a remedy? Truth is a remedy because, again, when we start looking at, again, relationships and we look at lust and divorce and lies, these are some of the things that completely destroy relationships. And in every single one of those is an untruth. There is no truth in lust. There is no truth in divorce. There is no truth in lies. But for us to take a second and look at it, like, why is truth such a remedy? Because Jesus is truth. He is the remedy. So when our hearts wander from God, our words wander from truth. When our hearts wander from God, our relationships wander from truth. And they start getting built on lies and lies on lies. And this is the thing that always makes me laugh about lies because, again, you start with one lie and then you've got to live another lie and then another lie and another lie and another lie. And, another, and you just fabricated your entire life and you can't live there because you forgot what that initial lie was. But in relationships, there's people who live like that. So when our hearts wander from God, our passions and desire become so addicted to a false sense of pleasure because we found pleasure, we found sustenance, we found life in something else that's false. It's a chocolate-covered hand grenade. There's nothing there, but we're like, I love the lie. I love what I get to be on Facebook. My house is always clean. Look at the dessert I just made. Look at all the likes I get. And like we fabricate our lives around a lie rather than a truth. But one of the things I was really thinking about, the reason why truth is so important is because inside a family, inside of relationships, if there's the lack of truth, it impacts how you view the world. So I don't know where you're at, but again, parents here, but even if, again, you, you got brought up by parents who never told you the truth, whose yes was never yes, and their no was never no, but they always said yes, and they always said, I'll be at your basketball game. I'll be at your recital. I'll be there to pick you up. And again, after a while, you're a kid, and you're like, no, you won't. But because you grow up with that distrust, that starts impacting how you view everybody else. I am one of the most untrusting people in the world because I grew up this way. I have to push myself to trust people. I've had to learn distrust is earned. That's something I've had to like put in my like creed as a human. I'm like, they've never done anything. Why I don't trust them? They've never turned around and lied to me. They've never turned around. I trust them. Why? Because there's no distrust. But my natural leaning is like, dude, I can't trust anybody. Wall up and I'll be my own little island. Doesn't work. You can't do that. But the reason why truth is such a remedy, because when it changes the way you look at people, when someone comes up and tries to care for you, they're just after their own thing. They're going to go gossip about me. But so many kids grow up, and again, they live in houses where yes is not yes, and no is not no, and there's no truth in that. So they start distrusting people. But then it goes one step further. They start distrusting God because the way we view people and the way we view relationships impacts the way we view our relationship with God. So if you have untrusting parents and you can't trust them, what makes you think that you're going to trust your heavenly parent 
And that's why people start going away from God. God's word is only partial truth. Prayer can only help sometimes. The work of Jesus Christ only helps some people. Because while there's a little bit of truth, but I, I, I can't trust you because every single thing I've experienced in life shows me that I cannot trust truth. When God is truth, he is the ultimate truth. But unfortunately, us as parents, us as people, make people see lies. So why does Jesus say, again, do not take an oath? Because if you swear falsely, it's going to hurt people in their relationship with other people. And it's also going to hurt people on their way that they view me. Because I've met people who, when you're saying the truth of who Jesus is and the fact that he'll never leave you nor forsake you and the fact that, again, he's there for everything, that he died on a cross, he took your punishment, they're like, I can't trust that. I need more. What about dinosaurs? What about science? The church has done wrong. Those are all just elements of distrust. Because you need more than the cross to get you to hope in truth, in life. But we got to take a second to look at this. Truth is a remedy because a lie is so destructive. Strong churches don't make strong families, but strong families make strong churches. We inside of families, we inside of churches, we need to come to a place where our character reflects our Christ only when we start showing Jesus only when we are completely committed to a growing in the gospel of Jesus Christ do we begin to be able to show truth. The gospel is the ever-present truth that gives our heart the directions back to God. Because notice the gospel isn't about being perfect. Notice the gospel isn't saying you do better. Notice that I'm not saying, hey, do the gospel. Make sure your word is what your word needs to be. No. The gospel is when you start growing in your walk with God. When you start growing so much looking like him. When you decrease so he increases. You're reading your word. You're praying. You're doing some crazy things in faith. When you start growing in your walk, it's amazing what he'll start doing. He'll start transforming you from the inside out. And you'll start looking different. You'll start responding differently. Instead of just saying yes to everything, every single thing you possibly can, you'll be like, oh, wait a second. Let me check my schedule. I don't want to let you down. And you pause. Why? Because you value truth that much. You value someone's feelings that much. You value that you're not going to live a lie at all. So the gospel, because the gospel brings us to a place of Jesus, and Jesus is our remedy. So how do we make sure that we're fighting against lust? How do we make sure that divorces never happen? We need truth. And the only way to get truth is when we put our faith in what he did for us on the cross. So three weeks ago, when I saw this in the Bible, a verse in James really just kind of like stuck in my heart. James chapter 5, verse 19 reads, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I love this verse. Because the church, 
You who are sitting here, you who have been redeemed, you who have been baptized, you brothers, sisters, guess what's going to happen? We're all naturally going to wander away. It's our hearts. They're deceitful in all that they do. But this is the beauty of the church. We're called to help each other. We're called to pray for one another. We're called to encourage one another. We're called to make sure that people come to a gathering. We're called to make sure that people are connecting into a growth community. We're called to make sure that our hearts don't wander from the truth. We're called to make sure that our hearts don't wander from Jesus. So kind of that question I have for you, have you wandered? Because if you kind of start looking at some external relationships, you start looking at your bosses. Ooh, I'm not, I'm not as honest there as I should be at work. But that's work. That's easy. They just got me nine to five and then I can be my own. So yeah, but if you're dishonest there, you're probably dishonest anywhere. Because again, if you take that dishonesty and you're nine to five... Now you're at home, you're probably dishonest there too. And the dishonesty isn't the issue. The dishonesty is just the fruit. At the root, you've wandered from truth. You've wandered from Jesus. And if you can say, yeah, I've, 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 I've wandered at work, I've wandered at home, then the reality is you've wandered from truth. You've wandered from God. You've wandered from your relationship with Jesus. The wandering heart brings us to a place of destruction. But if you've wandered, I love this. If you've wandered, I love the grace that's found in James. Because the wandering heart can be brought back to truth. The wandering heart just needs somebody to come alongside it and love it. The wandering heart needs somebody to come and give it truth. The wandering heart needs to bring them back to a place where they see Jesus. So if you're here and you're like, ooh, I'm wandering... The grace that is found in the cross of Christ is there. But then it gets harder, though. Because what if you know somebody who's wandering? What do you do? Just sit back, let them fall down, and then let's poke at them and make fun of them when they fall and crash and burn. That, that's not what James is saying. What James is actually saying is let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from the wandering will save his soul from death. It is essential as the church, that we find wandering hearts. We find people who are disc, and we encourage them, and we love them, and we pray for them, and we help bring them back to a place where they're living for the truth. They're living in the truth. They're growing in the truth. But that's how we keep people pure. That's how we make sure marriages don't fall apart. Because truth is the thing that sets us free and brings us back to him. So over the last couple of weeks, I've I just been praying about this. But I felt I wanted to end a little bit differently today. And I actually threw a giant curveball to Kathy on Monday. I was putting together my notes and my sermon, and I'm like, hey, I got a, I got a favor for from you. Can I ask that? And it was like one of those weird, like, I don't know whether to put the husband cap on or I don't know whether to put, like, the location pastor hat on. I was like... This is just weird at this point. Like, I was like, how do I ask this? But instead of just prattling and doing like a, hey, push for Jesus, and hopefully it's a good conclusion, there's been a song that's been on my heart since Monday. And while putting this together, and again, this idea of our wandering hearts, that we need Jesus to grab our wandering hearts because Jesus is the truth, and we need Jesus to bring us back to a place of truth. 
So instead of me trying to close in the old-fashioned way, the band is going to sing. Now, if you want to stand up and join the band in singing, awesome. If you just kind of want to stand or sit and just kind of meditate on the words and listen to the words and read the words, that's fine. But my hope for you is if your heart has wandered from truth, if your heart has wandered from Jesus, and you see yourself lying, you see yourself giving falsities behind your oaths, you see yourself getting yourself committed into trying to do things and then it's not actually landing, even though you meant well, it's just not meeting the road. I pray that your heart comes back to God. And I pray you take a minute whether you're in your seat, if you want to come and take a knee, whatever you'd like to do, I'm fine with that. But if your heart is wandering from Christ, come back. And if you're here and you're like, I, I don't know who Christ is. I don't know if I've truly accepted Jesus Christ into my life. I don't know if I know that truth, right? And you're, you're speaking so boldly that this is truth of something we can know. I don't know that. I'll be right over there. If you want to come and pray and accept Jesus as your Savior, if you want to come and make sure that you do know Christ as your Savior, I'm sitting right over there. But while we sing and while we praise God, I pray that you're willing to commit to truth. And I pray that you're willing to commit your ways to living for him.